Good to see you. Good to see you here. Good to see you there. Good to see you everywhere. Everywhere, a moo-moo there, a moo-moo there, here, a moo there, a moo everywhere, a moo-moo. I don't know. Uh, old McDonald's got him a farm somewhere. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for, for being with us. Um, we are in a series called, on, on Philippians called Finding Joy in Everything. And uh, this has been a really, I've loved this series so far. I hope you're enjoying it. If not, I love it and I'm going to keep doing it. So, uh, so you can just do what you want then. But, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm glad we're going through this. And, and I think uh, God's really challenged me in this series because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of we're kind of digging deep a little bit because I feel like there's so many times we just, we just kind of assume things in Scripture. And uh, if you've been around Scripture for any amount of time, you know, you'll go, I know that verse or I know that passage. I've heard that before. And we kind of tend to associate some meaning in the past. But the beauty of the power of the Word of God, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit that every time we open it, the author is fully present, ready to bring revelation into our life. And my, my hope for us is that as we engage this word, engage the word of God, that we don't just come in and go, I just, I know where he's going. I know what's going to happen and I've yada, yada, yada. And we just check out and we start thinking about what we're going to eat next. But I'm just praying that you lock in and you invite, you invite, I invited them already, but you got to invite them into your space, invite the Holy Spirit in to illuminate this word for you. Because every time we walk away from the word of God, we will either say, that was good. That, that maybe I'll use that someday. Or we walk away going, that was incredible because the God of the universe just spoke to me. And that's my prayer for us as we engage this, this word and we, we, we get engaged with, with joy because joy is something that honestly the world needs. I mean, even just, we were talking about joy to the world in, uh, in the green room a few minutes ago. And just, I mean, we need joy. We, there, the, the, the news headlines ebb and flow. There's, there's so much brokenness around us. There's so much despair. And, and, and people just, people long for happiness. And if, if people would just kind of back off of that pursuit a little bit and just press into the heart of God and let him produce a joy in us that is unending. Let him produce a joy in all circumstances. It doesn't mean I'm thankful for the problems I go through, but I'm thankful that the God of the universe is working in me in the hard times of my life, so that way I know, I know I'm not alone. And that brings me joy because I know that God is working in me, he's working through me, he's working for me, he's working around me because he has a purpose and a plan and a goal. And everything around us in life, everything in the world, the world is a system set up that tries to suck the joy right out of our life. Now, that's the only way I can say it. I'm sorry. But everything is after us to try to steal joy. We go through stuff. We go through trials. We go through times where we're happy, then we're sad, then we're up, we're down. We go through mountaintops, valleys. We go through all of this stuff. But in every one of those, we have a choice. And that choice that we make it is vital to, to where our hope is centered and our source of joy is in our life, honestly. We have a choice to either rejoice or retreat. When things get tough, we tend to pull back and go, that's, that's just too hard. I'm not gonna, I can't press into that. We see it in our freedom ministry that, that as people get on the, on the verge of forgiveness and breakthrough, they pull back and they go, I'm just not ready to forgive. And, and we just, we retreat back into it. But when we rejoice and we move forward into it, God opens up and there's an incredible breakthrough that he's got waiting for us, but he's not gonna break it for us. He's gotta say, you gotta press in, son. You gotta press in, girl, and you gotta go through that and you press in. Don't retreat. Keep rejoicing for what I'm doing in you because he's got a purpose and a plan for it. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to teach the church in Philippi. 
He's writing them a letter. It's not just a thank you note for the, for the gift that they gave while he's incarcerated. He, he's writing them because he's, this, is, this is a letter that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means God wrote the letter through Paul's hand. And he sent it to the church in Philippi. And the, Philipp, uh, the Philippian church basically said, we got to share this with other churches. I mean, yeah, have you ever received a thank you note so powerful you want to share it with other people? Have you ever written a thank you note so powerful? Somebody else wants to? I just say thanks, you know. And he's like, love you. I appreciate that. Um, I don't have the words. But um, in Philippians chapter 1, that's where we still are. So if you want to go there, we're going to pick up in verse 12. And what I want you to see and understand is this, is that God is sovereign and he is fully in control. Events don't just happen. I mean, there, there should be a word that when we become a Christ follower, there's a lot of vocabulary we've got to kind of cast away, right? You know, we got to tame the tongue. But one of the things that we've got to get rid of is thinking this idea of coincidence. Coincidences don't just, with things with God, things don't just happen. God is sovereign. He is fully in control and he, he is at work. He already knows what's going to happen before it happens. That's the power of God. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, and he's all-knowing. That's the sovereignty of God, and he already knows what's going to happen. So we can't just think, oh, this just happened to me. No, God is orchestrating something in your life because he wants to do something in your life and ultimately produce something through it. And Paul's recognizing this, and he's writing to the church about this, these events that happen. He starts out, he goes, I want you to know, family... Some translations will say brothers. You'll have a thing that says brothers and sisters. And then some translations will say, I want you to know family, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul's writing them and say, all the stuff that's happened, all the past, all the issues, all the stuff we've gone through that we've gone through together that you've heard about, they haven't just happened. They serve a purpose. And that purpose is gospel movement. See, Paul actually, would, he wrote uh, to the church in Rome and he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to Rome. And now he's writing the Philippian church from Rome, and not as a pastor or a preacher, but as a prisoner. But even in that, he's reconciling to them. Everything that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I just wanna, I just wanna look at for a little bit what has happened to Paul. I mean, we get a short list in 2 Corinthians. I mean, when we, look at, when we look at what's happened to Paul, let me just, let me go over to it and I'll show you. It's in 2 Corinthians. They'll put that up for you, 2 Corinthians 11. But this is, this is awesome. I'll start where you've got it, but, but it's chapter 11, verse 24. But he says, five times, I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. He was whipped 39 times, five times. That would have have done me in right there. I mean, especially if if, if whoever was whipping him could work a wooden spoon like my mama could. Because she could do that, or a dish towel like my grandma. Oh my goodness, she could get in there. I didn't have to have 39 lashes. It was just one from them, and it was done. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that wasn't in the 60s. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Wow, Lord, forgive me. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. One time, and I'm not getting on a boat again, y'all. I mean, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. There's a lot of danger around Paul. He's a dangerous man. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, even without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The dude had some pressure. He'd, this is the short list of what he went through. I mean, you want, you want to get really detailed in it. You, you just read Acts, well, pick up around, I guess, Acts um, 16 through 27, 28. Just finish the book of Acts if you're going to start at 16. And just look at what happened to Paul over and over and over. And, what, and, and see, we would look back. See, we look back from an outside perspective at somebody else's suffering. And we start reconciling what they need to do differently. Or we like to armchair quarterback other people's suffering. And Paul's actually telling him, he says, look, don't, don't sit back and feel pity for me. Don't feel sorry for me because of where I'm at. I, I got here because I was preaching the gospel. And I want you to know, family, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I want you to know my spiritual family called the church. I want you to know, because he talked about how much he loved them and this affection. But he says, I, I want you to know that everything has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, that there's this purpose that God has working in it. God is doing something in it. And Paul says, all of this happened so that the gospel could be preached. All of it, every bit of it. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We talks about imperial guard. He, the people who are keeping him bound, the people who are watching over him, the people who have to look after him to make sure he doesn't escape. They, they know that this is about Jesus. Sometimes, have you ever thought about this? Sometimes God has to put you in a situation that is completely uncomfortable and somewhere you would never put yourself so that the gospel could go to somebody who might never hear it. And he's, Paul's, Paul's saying, this is, this is all happening because God has a purpose for my life and I'm trusting God with that. I'm trusting him in this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what he's saying is, is the prison guard is hearing what's going on. They know this is about Jesus. And then other brothers, which he's talking about other people who are professing Christ, other people who are trying to preach the gospel. What's happened by my imprisonment hasn't shut them down. and said, well, we better not do that because they're going to come after us like they did Paul. They got bold. The confidence came up. They said, we're going to go do this. You know, hey, look, Paul can do it. We can do it. He's, he's paved the way. And he says, all this is happening, which means it's not just up to me to get the gospel out. It's up to us. It's up to the church. It's not just my job. It's not just a pastor's job to preach the gospel. You preach it better than I can. Because you go to places on Monday through Friday and Saturday night and, and, and Friday night, you go to places that I can't go and that I don't go and you have a voice with the people in your sphere and you're the ones that can speak the gospel to them in a better way. And what Paul's saying is that all the stuff that's happened to me, let it be a confidence booster for you. That's why when we get in an environment, we start sharing our stories, right? Start growing in confidence. 
we would start to think, well, who am I that God would, would do anything through me? You know, and, and we start to think, well, I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't have the crazy testimony. I don't have the testimony that that they would show, you know, to thousands of people. Listen, you have a story, and your story matters. And it matters to God because he can use your story to share the gospel, to make Jesus clear to somebody else around you. And then he's going he's gonna to address an issue with them. He's going to kind of teach them a little bit. He says in verse 15, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What's going on here? Let me, let me, let me, let me help us understand what's, what's happening here. There's, there's what we call religious politics. There's churches that are divided. So, so some churches are, are kind of going, well, Paul's, Paul's got too radical of a message, and, you know, so, so we're not with Paul. And then some are like, hey, we stand with Paul. Go get him, Paul. We're back, the Philippian church, we're backing you. They're sending them the gifts. We're helping you out. And so churches are divided in this. Some are preaching sincerely and some are preaching insincerely. Some are preaching for their own gain and some are preaching for the kingdom gain. And that's a problem. That still happens today. Instead of asking in this, in this context, instead of going, have you trusted Jesus as your savior? They're going, whose side are you on? Ours or Paul's? Instead of the church saying, here's Jesus, this is the gospel, this is what he did for you, this is where our life finds hope in it, instead of doing that, we preach our own agendas. It happens. You know, how, how do we do it today? It's a for and against type preaching. I, when we launched the church, Heather and I, we were praying about kind of the platform, of the church, you know, because there, there are churches that have voices in certain, in certain directions, I guess. But we just said, we want it to be straight up the gospel. We want to make Jesus clear and love people and bring glory to God through that. And what we decided is we will preach for Jesus instead of preaching against anything. Because see, if I preach against it, if you like what I'm preaching against, which means, or, or if you don't like what I'm preaching against, right? Like I hate the same thing Matt hates. And so if I start preaching against that, here's the thing, you're gonna follow me as long as I'm obedient to you. And what'll happen is we'll grow a group of people that all hate the same thing. And our rallying point is not the gospel. It's what we've chosen to hate. Or let's take it to a little bit more. Here, here's another slippery slope. I don't preach against your sin. I preach the grace of God. Because the Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit does a much better job of convicting than I can. All I can do, I can shout down condemnation, but that's not godly, right? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't bring the conviction on you. That's the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he says, I'm sending the helper and he's gonna convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. It's like the whole thing when we say, you know, coincidence isn't real. The conscience, listen, for the Christ follower, the conscience is something that, that the Holy Spirit is speaking in. It's not a little Jiminy Cricket sitting on you. Uh-uh, don't do that. It's the Holy Spirit going, you don't need to go down that road. 
I mean, I've seen it over and over. I have learned as a pastor to have an incredible poker face. I don't have a good poker face when I'm playing cards. I mean, that's why I don't have any money for playing cards, you know. But as a pastor, God has said, boy, you got to have a poker face. And there have been people, and I, I love this. I love this about our environment. The comfort and honesty and safety that people feel, feel to share stuff with me. And, and I'm not going to, there, there will be, well, I'm not, I can't share that story. So um, anyway, there was one incident where they're telling me something that I'm like, that is absolutely against the word of God. And inside, listen, all my legalistic, there's still some legalistic bones in me, you know, and all this, you know, all, everything inside of me, I just wanted to shout, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But God was like, poker face. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. okay. And they were, they were, and they were, we were starting a fast. And I said, here's what I want you to do. Every time you get the urge to do what you're telling me you're going to not do now, which you shouldn't be doing anyway, I want you to pray together and ask God to just bring revelation into your life and just press into God's heart with that. And I left it. Three months later, they met with me after church and the Holy Spirit had done a better work than I could of just shouting them down in that moment because there was genuine repentance. There was a new trajectory for their life And there was a way of walking in righteousness that I can't produce. So I'm not gonna preach against all the stuff that there is to preach against because I ain't got time for that. People don't need to know what I stand against. They need to know who I stand for. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the author of life. He's the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who bore the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders and his shoulders alone after willingly laying his life down on a cross. And he bore the wrath of God against the sin that I deserved. All the things that I can get so uh, riled up preaching against, he took on himself. And he became the wretchedness that is mad. So that through his death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, I can become the righteousness of God. I would much rather spend the rest of my life preaching that message than picking everything wrong in our society and yelling at people about what they're doing wrong. That's what Paul's saying. He's, he, he says, I, listen to what he says. Let's hear it from Paul. What do you have to say about this, Paul? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I will rejoice. I don't... I'm not gonna judge the heart of the preacher. He's preaching Christ, people getting saved. Listen, there was two um, ministers, two evangelists, a couple hundred years ago, uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield. Both of them had preached to thousands of people and seen thousands of people come to Christ. Wesley and Whitfield, very much different on a, on a theological doctrinal spectrum. They 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 disagreed with each other about a lot of things about scripture. 
and yet both proclaimed the gospel and saw thousands of people get saved. And John Wesley was asked one time in an interview, this interview is a public record, and I found it just doing some research about what Paul's teaching the Philippians about. And the, the interviewer said, uh, Mr. Wesley, do you, do you expect that you'll see Mr. Whitfield in heaven? And he said, no, I don't expect I'll see him in heaven. And the interviewer said, wait, what? You, you don't think he's a converted man? And John Wesley said, of course I think he's a converted man. Well, then why, won't you think you, why don't you think you'll see him in heaven? Because when we get to heaven, he'll be so close to the throne of God and I so far away that I don't expect I'll be able to see him. In this moment, he had a chance to tear down somebody that he disagreed with. And yet, the grace of God at work in him, he honored him, he lifted him up. We may differ, we may disagree on a lot of theological issues, but listen, there are core essentials of our faith that we hold on to. And Paul's saying, listen, if are they preaching Christ crucified and resurrected? Then let God sort the heart of man out. There's a lot of churches in our area that, that, that people like to throw stones at because they differ with their message, but back off of it a little bit and just say, are they preaching the gospel? Are they preaching Jesus Christ who was crucified and resurrected? Then let them go. Because that's your family. And stop picking on your brothers and sisters out there, okay? That's what Paul's saying. I rejoice because the gospel's moving forward. He's bringing them into a teaching moment. So, Because the, the Philippian church, I can imagine, had a, probably a way to get into this debate. Well, we're gonna stand up for Paul. Paul's like, I don't need it. Everything that has happened to me and everything that is happening right now and everything that will happen, Paul could reconcile this truth. It will be used to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ who was crucified and resurrected for the sin of man. And he lets it go. And I, 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 really, I really feel like there's... God's speaking to us in this because we all get caught up in how do we deal with what's happened to us in our past. Everything that we have in common, we have a past. Mine's different than yours. Some of us are a little bit more, we don't like to share a little bit. Some we don't mind sharing. Like this, this week, I shared my testimony. We're, we're going through a process as a church of getting everybody's stories and we're writing down our story. We're just answering the questions. What was my life like before Jesus as my Savior? How did I come to Jesus as my Savior? How did I come to that point in that decision key, that key decision in my life? And what is my life like after Christ? We're just answering those three questions. And that's our story. And we're sharing. I got to share mine with the staff. And it was amazing because it's like, how much do I share? How much, how much do I leave out? <laughs> I left a lot out. <laughs> But we start to think about what's happened to us in the past. And listen, I think that's why our freedom ministry stays so busy because we get so bound up by our past. And one of the vision things that we want to see is to help people get past their past. But Paul could sit incarcerated for preaching the gospel and say, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I think when we start to try to reconcile things in our past, there's a lens we have to look at the past with. It's a lens called grace. That when we start looking back, 
Listen, every one of us, there are moments where our past comes haunting back, right? There's things in our past we thought we were gone, we dealt with, that's done, that's dead, that's gone, and yet, boom, here it pops right back up. And we, we have a choice in that. Remember I said retreat or rejoice. If we retreat, then what we're doing is we're allowing the enemy who's trying to steal our joy ultimately and ultimately destroy us, we're letting him bring up our past to try to cover us again in an identity of guilt and shame. But we're not called. Paul, we're not called to look at our past through the lens of guilt and shame if we've put our life in the hands of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're called to rejoice about our past. How, how can I say that? When I look at my past and all the, the, all the brokenness of my past and all the things that I, I, wish I, I wish I hadn't done that, wish I'd never done that, Hope I never do that again. You know, just all that. We look back and we start, all the things start feeling. Listen, let it spur rejoicing. Let it stir praise. Why? Because when we look back and the enemy wants to remind us of our past, God's saying, but I covered that with grace. That amazing grace. How sweet the sound that when you heard it, your wretchedness became my righteousness. And when we look back, we need to say, praise God for his grace in my life. Because if we as Christians are going to walk forward in life, constantly looking back with guilt and shame, here's what we've done. We've cheapened the grace of God. And what we're doing ultimately is we're robbing God and we're saying, you're not sovereign and you're not powerful enough to forgive everything. Jesus, I don't think you paid for everything. I think you left some things in the cart, buddy. And, and, and he said, no, no, my grace what he would say to Paul when Paul's dealing with all the issues in his life. There's this thorn in my flesh sent to afflict me, to keep me from being conceited. And I'm, I'm struggling with this. And God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. When you look back at your past, here's what you need to reconcile. God, that was awful, but your grace is sufficient for that. His grace was enough to cover your past. His grace is enough to save you and sustain you and see you safely home. That's the power of God. That Jesus said nothing, nothing. Do you know when you, when you study that in the Greek language, do you know what that means? Nothing. There is absolutely nothing that can take us from the Father's hand, those who are in Christ Jesus. And let your past stir up Praise. As I was right, what was your life like before Christ? Man, it started stirring up regret. Shame, guilt. Man. God, I think you got a real bum deal. But you know what? God showed me, he says, let it stir up praise. And I started thinking about things in my past that I'm ashamed of. And I was rejoicing because grace is bigger. There's a grace that's greater than all my sin. When we look at what's happened, look at with the lens of grace. And listen, with what's happening, because we can't go back and change that, but we're in the moment, right? What we look at right now, we view what's happening through a gospel lens. Because Paul's saying the grace of God transformed my life. I was, I, was the, I was a sinner of sinner. I was the most wretched of everybody, but God's grace saved me and brought me to this place to be used for a gospel purpose. And what Paul's saying is, hey, what's happening What's happening right now, I'm in chains, but it's for the gospel. That no matter what we're going through, listen, some of y'all might be going through the most difficult scenarios and circumstances of your life. 
But what God's saying is like, right now, let me, let me sustain you because I can work in you for a gospel purpose. I mean, it's not like we go into work Monday and they hand us a thing, hey, you just lost your job. Well, let me share Jesus with you, you know? But what he's doing is saying, look through the lens, like, God, with what's happening to me right now and what's happening in my life, just, just, look, just do these three things. How do I make Jesus clear in this? How do I love the people around me? And how do I ultimately see that you get the glory? Because God never leaves us or forsakes us, right? He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's our ever-present help in time of trouble. And so when we're facing those moments, our filter should be like that, what Paul is showing this church in Philippi, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's revealing to us today that right now, whatever you're going through, Jesus can be made clear. Maybe in the suffering you're going through, people actually see Christ more in your suffering than when times are good. And I'm not, I'm not rejoicing in your suffering, but I'm rejoicing over what God can do in it. And so when we start looking at what's happening, it's how do I be a clear reflection of Jesus in this? And then, okay, we all get nervous about what's going to happen, right? Let's look at the future. Let's look at what's going to happen with a lens of glory. Meaning, God, whatever comes, whether, whether I'm in the cycle where I feel like I've been beaten twice, five, uh, twice, 30 or 40 lashes minus the one, if there's three more beatings coming in that fashion, God, I'm gonna give you glory. If we just got out of the water from the first shipwreck, and he calls us back on a boat. God, if this one goes down, I'm giving you the glory. Because I count my life as nothing but to be used for the glory of God. And listen, he will be glorified. I mean, Paul's gonna tell the Philippians in chapter two, the name of Jesus is above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess and confess that Jesus is Lord for what? To the glory of the Father. So my choice is I can either retreat and God's gonna get glory without me or I can rejoice and God's gonna get glory with me. And I'm not making light of any suffering you're going in right now. Listen, we, we all carry heavy things. There's heavy things going on. But the difference for the church, for a Christ follower, is how we frame it and how we see it, and how we decide how we're going to navigate it. And so when you look back, it's grace. When you look around, it's the gospel. When you look forward, it's the glory of God. That's how we work through it, right? How do I make Jesus clear? How do I do that in this moment? And how do I give glory to God in everything I've got? Everything, everything that has happened has a grace purpose, and this is our mindset that we walk into. And we've got the choice. We've got the choice. And I, I hope today is a day that you make a choice to kind of lay all of that down. Because some of you came into this time, I mean, here or there, 
and you're carrying something from your past and, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just eating you away and you, you just, you're just, it's wearing you out. It's wearing you down and you're not called to carry that. And I'm asking you, if you've never called on the grace of God to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Let your grace change me. Forgive me. Cover my past. In that moment, in that moment, you know what happens? It's gone. And you know what the enemy does? He reminds you of your past. He also reminds God of your past. But there's two different responses. Because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren who stands before God day and night. Do you see what Matt did? Look what Matt did. Oh, there's no way. And God goes, I didn't see anything. What do you mean you didn't see anything? When I look down, all I see is the righteousness of God because of my son's blood covering his life. If God can say that to the enemy and he gives us power and authority, why are we doing this? That's why Paul said, hey, have some confidence here. Some of you actually need to speak to the enemy and tell him to shut up and tell him to get out of your past because all that's in my past is an empty grave and the blood of Jesus. And all that means is that right now, devil, I'm the righteousness of God. And he'll say, yeah, you're not perfect. No, I'm not. But my Jesus is. And I'm pursuing him. And I hope today is the day you make that choice to let the amazing grace of God wash you and reframe that whole perspective that what has happened is a part of your story and it's a story of redemption and it's a good story and it's a life transforming story that somebody needs to hear. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We can look back on our past, God, and there's so many things that might get stirred up. But I thank you, God of grace, that when you forgive us, you are faithful and just and you forgive us fully. You take the sins of our past and the brokenness and the wretchedness and you said in your word that you throw it as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And I pray that when our past comes up, what we do remember is your grace is sufficient, that your grace is big enough, that your grace covers me that your grace covers us. God, thank you for that. Thank you that when we look back, we can see your hand at work. Give us eyes to see what's happening now as an opportunity to make Jesus clear. God, let us not be a people who retreat and shrink back in the face of opposition or shrink back and retreat in the face of suffering or trial, but let us be a people, your people, your children, that you redeemed by the blood of the lamb, that we use every opportunity to make Jesus clear through our good times and our bad. And we trust our future to you. Because we know this, that you will receive glory for whatever happens. So help us look to you in our past, to look to you in our present and our future. Thank you, God. Thank you for choosing to use us to make your amazing grace known. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.